Hi, this is Rosie Tillis and Rachel Hine, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. This is a lecture series designed to aid in preparation for our yearly in-service examination. Our goal is to take you through high-yield topics along with experts in their respective fields in order to maximize your knowledge and potential scores. Stay tuned after the episode for a brief message about our sponsors. In this episode, we'll be discussing craniofacial topics. This is a part of our quick hit series designed to take facts directly from the last five to eight years of the in-service examinations. So in this craniofacial lecture, we're going to talk about craniosynostosis, the syndromes associated with that, and then cleft and the syndromes associated with that. All right. Rachel, your favorite. All right. So just a little bit of anatomy um, to know the frontal sinus appears at six years of age on x-rays, which we're tested on. For normal suture fusion, uh, the cranial vault, the metopic suture will fuse at six to eight months, the sagittal 22 years, the coronal 24 years, the, the lambdoidal 26 years, and the squamosal 35 years. TGF beta plays a role in the fusion of the posterior medial or the posterior frontal sutures and also fibroblast growth factor. And remember that the interior fontanelle closes at 24 months and the posterior fontanelle closes at two months. Sagittal synostosis is otherwise known as scaphocephaly or dolicocephaly. This causes an increased AP diameter, decreased parietal width, and frontal bossing. Surgical treatment includes cranial vault remodeling with barrel staving and a sagittal strip can correct mild forms. Endoscopic suturectomy and orthotic molding can be performed at two to four months and a spring at six to, six to nine months. After about nine months of age, you do have to do a traditional cranial vault remodeling. Metopic synostosis is otherwise known as trigonocephaly, and this is a keel-shaped or triangular deformity. It includes biotemporal narrowing, hypotelarism, and ICP elevation can occur in as up to 10% of patients. This is most commonly associated with abnormalities of the corpus callosum and developmental delay. And remember that the metopic ridge can be a normal variant. This closes at one year. If a child presents with an asymptomatic ridge greater than one year old, you just observe. And the treatment for this is a frontal orbital advancement, which we'll talk about. So things that you can see in unilateral coronal synostosis include frontal flattening and contralateral bossing. A recess of superorbital lateral and inferior rim. Remember the chin will point on the contralateral side due to an anterior displaced glenoid fossa. You can also see strabismus and paralysis of the superior oblique muscles. The fontanelle will be displaced away from the affected side and the nasal root will be towards the ipsilateral side or the side of synostosis. There is a harlequin deformity that we can see in this in unilateral synostosis, which includes lack of descent of the greater wing of the sphenoid. Treatment for this includes frontal orbital advancement. In bilateral coronal synostosis, you will see brachycephaly, which is a broad flat forehead and recession of the superorbital ridges. They will have a wide cranial base with elevation of the height of the skull and it'll be short in the AP direction. This is influenced by FGFR2 and 3. Lambdoid synostosis includes ipsilateral occipital flattening and a mastoid bulge. An ipsilateral ear will be positioned posteriorly, so they end up having a trapezoid head shape, as well as a contralateral protuberance of the forehead. Treatment of lambdoid synostosis includes posterior vault expansion and remodeling, and an increase in ICP can occur. And the thing that we are usually questioned about is whether or not this is deformational plagiocephaly. But if you look at these, these kids with deformational plagiocephaly, they'll have a midline nasal root and an ipsilateral chin deviation. 
in unilateral findings, they'll have a flattening of the occiput and an anterior displacement of the ipsilateral ear. So they look like a, their head looks like a parallelogram. Um, this may be caused by torticollis and the management of torticollis is OT initially. Risk factors for deformational plagiocephaly include prematurity, which is the most common, intrauterine positioning, and congenital muscular torticollis, as well as pleural births and motor delays. Oxycephaly is a pansynostosis, which will present as a pointed head and a forehead retroverted and tilted back. Cleblot schlottel is a cloverleaf skull. It's secondary to synostosis of all sutures except the squamosal. They have a high ICP and the skull will have a moth-eaten appearance. So again, reviewing just some of the differences between synostotic forehead plagiocephaly and deformational plagiocephaly. In coronal synostosis, the forehead will be flat on the affected side. The eyebrow will be elevated on the affected side. The ear on the affected side is rotated anterior superiorly. The face is a C-shaped with the nose and chin deviated to the opposite side. The forehead prominence will be on the opposite side and the ipsilateral cheek will be forward. Distinguishing features for deformational plagiocephaly include the superior orbital rim is lower on the affected side. The eyebrow is down. The ear is rotated posterior inferiorly on the flattened side. The malar eminence is flattened ipsilaterally. The nose and chin are rotated to the affected side, so ipsilateral, and def deformity is not as severe as in synostosis. For scalp and calvarial reconstruction, the options include autogenous or split calvarial bone grafting using parietal bone or split rib graft. Alloplastic materials sometimes used include methyl methacrylate, and these are for adults. So remember that methyl methacrylate can have an exothermic reaction and it's cooled with saline. Medpor, hydroxyapatite, calcium phosphate, which requires mixing in water, and PTFE or Gore-Tex, which is biologically inert. Autologous bone is the most appropriate material for inlay cranioplasty for a child. We were tested once on if you accidentally drop the bone flap, you decontaminate it with triple antibiotic solution and consider reusing. Chlorhexidine is the choice for skin grafts or composite grafts that are dropped. So some of the common craniosteosis syndromes that we are tested on, the first one is Cruzon syndrome, which is a mutation in FGFR2. These kids have hydrocephalus, ICP elevation, Chiari type one, bicoronal synostosis, so they typically have brachycephaly, exorbitism, class three malocclusion, conductive hearing loss, recession of the frontal bone, hypoplasia of the infraorbital rim, so and hypertelarism. They can also have axial skeletal abnormalities with normal hands and feet. So no syndactyly. So no syndactyly. So Cruzon, they will have bicoronal synostosis, hearing loss, hypertelarism, or some of the things that I've seen before. And remember treatment of increased intracranial pressure and OSA are treated with frontal orbital advancements, so a monoblock osteotomy. Apert syndrome is an FGFR2 mutation. It's autosomal dominant. These kids will have ICP elevation, usually at an onset of 18 months and may need VP shunts. Apert syndrome kids will have bicoronal synostosis with turibrachycephaly, exorbitism, mid-face hypoplasia, class three malocclusion, complex syndactyly of hands and feet, hypertelarism, strabismus, palsy of the ocular muscles, slant of palpebral fissures, and a cervical spine bump. So Apert syndrome, FGFR2, bicoronal synostosis with turibrachycephaly, mid-face hypoplasia, and then syndactyly. 
treatment of APERT syndrome includes a frontal orbital advancement before one year, followed by a LaFort 3 with distraction osteogenesis for mid-phase advancement. The complication rate is close to 20% for LaFort 3, including bone loss, pin migration, and loss of fixation or CSF leaks. That's for LaFort 3 distraction osteogenesis. Hmm. Pfeiffer syndrome is an FGFR1 mutation. These children present with hydrocephalus, Chiari malformations, turi-brachycephaly with bicoronal synostosis, exorbitism, hypoplasia of the midface, class 3 malocclusion, broad sums and halluses, mild cutaneous syndactyly, and they may have cleavage shuttle cloverleaf skulls. So fiber syndrome, FGFR1, turi-brachycephaly with bicoronal synostosis, and they have broad sums. That's usually the clue that we get. And they may have respiratory compromise as mm -hmm. well. Antley Bixler sometimes has FGFR2 mutations. They have craniosynostosis, coanal atresia, and radial humeral synostosis. sathry schatzen syndrome is autosomal dominant twist one mutation. They have bilateral coronal synostosis. It causes dysregulated bone deposition, a low frontal hairline, ptosis of the eyelids, and a prominent cruse halysis and partial syndactyly. The mental status of these kids is normal. So say three shots in is autosomal dominant twist one, bilateral coronal synostosis, and low frontal hairline. I've seen that on questions. Monkey syndrome is an FGFR3 autosomal dominant mutation with bicoronal synostosis, thumb like middle phalanges, and sensory neural hearing loss. Carpenter syndrome is a mutation of RAB23 gene. These patients will have craniosynostosis causing acrocephaly. They'll have partial digital syndactyly and preaxial polysyndactyly of their feet. They'll have congenital cardiac disease, hypogenitalism, obesity, and umbilical hernia and low set ears. So just to review over the coronasynostosis <laughs> syndromes, Cruzon, Aperts are both FGFR2, <laughs> Pfeiffer syndrome is FGFR1. Sathry Schatzen syndrome is twist. And then monkey and Pfeiffer are FGR as well. Um, all of these syndromes have bicoronal synostoses. So remember, they all have bicoronal synostoses. What differentiates them is Cruzon will typically have normal hands and feet. Aperts will have complex syndactyly of both their hands and feet. Pfeiffer syndrome is that we'll see the broad thumbs. Antley Bixler has the radiohumeral synostosis. The Sathry Schatzen, remember, they have a low frontal hairline and ptosis of their eyelids. So you'll see that. And then monkey syndrome, I guess they have thumb-like middle phalanges. Okay, so a discussion of the clefts of the face. I think this usually is easiest if you have a picture in front of you um, and can be one of those quick review things right before the end service, but clefts zero to seven occur on the lower half of the face and nine 14 occur on the upper hemisphere. Paramedian clefts. So cleft zero can have a deficient or excess like bifid nose or frenulum hypertelarism and deficiency includes absent premaxilla with secondary palate cleft and absence of the nasal bones. Cleft 14 is a continuation of this. This is caused by contact between the dura and ectoderm through the foramen cecum. Cleft one is a form of, of cleft lip and palate. Cleft two will often be seen with hypoplastic ala, and that's rare. Oronasal clefts are three, four, and five. A cleft three is more common. This proceeds transverse through the lateral incisor and the canine and extends into the floor of the nose through the na nasolacrimal system and the orbital floor. They have alar base superiorly displaced 
and the nose is foreshortened. The lacrimal system may be blocked. We love colobomas, globe malpositioning, and direct communication of the oronasal orbital cavities. They may have a displaced medial canthus, and the inferior medial orbit is absent. So remember that this cleft three goes transverse through the lateral incisor in the canine, extends into the floor of the nose, through the nasal lacrimal system and the orbital floor and involves the mediocanthus. That's three. Failed merging of the frontal nasal and maxillary prominences can result in Tessier's two, three, or four. Failed fusion of the maxillary and medial nasal process can result in a cleft lip. And the proboscis lateralis is a failure of fusion of the lateral and maxillary nasal processes. And you can remember this from our previous test. It's where the part of the nose coming out of the eyeball. <laughs> oh, I remember <laughs> that picture. Yeah, that's proboscis lateralis. Yeah. Cleft four involves the lip and the orbit. The nose is uninvolved. It tracks medial to the infraorbital nerve and begins at the filtral column, courses laterally to the alar margin and can affect the medial lid and disrupt the nasolacrimal duct, resulting in epiphoria. Cleft five involves the mouth and the cheek, including the maxillary sinus, and can have an orbital cleft. This is very rare. It is lateral to the infraorbital nerve. Right. So, so just to review, medial to the orbital nerve is cleft four and anything below it. Lateral is cleft five, which we've been tested on. So anything below four, the nose is involved. Four and up, the nose is not involved. And the clefts three and four can affect the nasolacrimal system. Lateral clefts, six and above. So cleft six is the lower lateral orbit, and this can cause colobomas. Cleft seven, or also known as hemifacial microsomia, is the most common of all clefts. It's more common in males and is caused by a disruption of the stapedial artery. And it affects the zygoma of the maxilla and the mandible and often causes paralysis of cranial nerves five and seven. Cleft seven begins at the oral commissure, often resulting in macrostomia and extends toward the ear running through the maxillary second molar. It stops at the masseter and they can have a skin tag or a microtic ear. Like we discussed, it involves the maxilla, the ramus, the zygomatic body and the cranial base. These kids will often have an open bite so cleft eight always involves the orbit is very rare. And typically since cleft eight is rare, it often presents with other syndromes as well. So you'll see the colobomas and the zygoma, zygoma hypoplasia. Cleft nine can cause encephalocele's was very rare and involves a lateral third of the lid and brow. It involves cranial nerve seven to the forehead and upper eyelid, and you can have a hypoplastic sphenoid. It can be an extension of facial cleft five. So nine and five can go together. Talking about some of the other syndromes, Binder syndrome is a localized nasomaxillary hypoplasia. They have a flat nasal bridge, short retracted columella. Um, the columella will be depressed into the floor of the nose and their anterior nasal spine is absent, which is what you'll most commonly see in the uh, question stem. They have a class three malocclusion and the treatment is a Lafort one or two. Golden Heart syndrome or ocula auriculovertebral dysplasia this does not have a genetic transmission. It's thought to be an intrauterine event of occlusion of the stapedial artery and development of a hematoma after that. It can be evidenced by frontal bossing, a low hairline, mandibular hypoplasia, low set ears and microtia, colobomas of the upper eyelid, epibulbar dermoids, bilateral accessory auricular appendages, vertebral abnormalities. And this can be associated with a cleft eight or hemifacial microsomia. 
You want to perform a fundoscopic examination and obtain cervical x-rays. That's sometimes questioned. And remember, like I said, hemifacial microsomia falls into the OVA spectrum. Affected patients will have unilateral malformations of their mandibular ramus, uh, facial paralysis, macrostomia, incomplete development of the external and middle ear, zygoma, and maxilla, temporal bone, parotid gland, tongue, muscles of the palate, and they typically have VPI. Treatment is usually directed for the macrostomia in the first few months, and then skeletal and soft tissues are addressed at five to six years. Something similar that I often get confused is brachio-otorenal syndrome. This is autosomal dominant, and uh, findings include auricular malformations, preauricular skin pits, hearing loss, brachial fistula, external auditory canal stenosis, and renal abnormalities. And this will often be in a uh, form of a test question. You'll get some of these clinical findings, and what do you get to for other assessment in this child, and it will be a renal ultrasound. There is Kipple field dermoids. This syndrome includes fusion of the cervical spine with varying involvement of the thoracic and lumbar spine. They have a low posterior hairline, hearing loss, and cleft palate. There's craniofrontal nasal syndrome, which is a mutation in the gene EFNB1. It presents with exorbitism, hypertelorism, and this hypertelorism is treated with an orbital box osteotomy or facial bipartition without advancement. And these patients can often have severe sleep apnea. And if it's severe central sleep apnea, they should be treated with immediate tracheostomy and assisted ventilation. Velocardial facial syndrome is another syndrome we're tested on. It's autosomal dominant. It includes developmental delay, upward slanting of the palpebral fissures, a prominent nose with a broad nasal root and narrow alar base aberrant carotid arteries, and velopharyngeal insufficiency, which we talked about in our cleft lip and palate lecture. This is 22Q11, and you'll use a fish for diagnosis. The epidemiology of this is from neural crest cell maldevelopment, and they, these patients will have or hypocalcemia, so you want to get a calcium concentration six hours post-op. Most common abnormality in these patients is cardiac, um, which is the tetralogy of Fallot. And immunologic abnormalities are also common, and this can be thymic hypoplasia and diminished T-cell production. So you'll need an immunology consult for these patients. The next syndrome is Nager's syndrome. This is acrofacial dystosis. It's, it's <laughs> autosomal recessive. It includes hypoplasia, the orbits, zygoma, maxilla, mandible, and soft palate. There are auricular defects. It has hypoplasia, the radius thumbs, metacarpal, and radial ulnar synostosis. These patients will also be of short stature and abnormalities of their mid-face include malar hypoplasia and a class two anterior open bite and clockwise rotation of their occlusal plane. So the, what differentiates Nager syndrome is hypoplasia of the radius thumbs and metacarpals along with mid-face hypoplasia. Tracer Collins is mandibular facial dystosis. This is cleft six through eight. It's autosomal dominant and the gene is TCOF1. This includes hypoplasia of the zygoma, maxilla, mandible. They, again, they have downward slanting palpebral fissures like Nager syndrome, but they have colobomas of the lower eyelids, absence of the eyelashes, auricular defects. And again, they have type two occlusion. They'll have clefts in the inferior orbital floor and malar and zygomatic hypoplasia is the main feature. Mobius syndrome presents with unilateral or bilateral loss of eye abduction. This is caused by abducens nerve paralysis. They can also have facial paralysis, syndactyly, and club foot. They have rudimentary fingers and toes. Brachial and thoracic musculature may be hypoplastic, as well as micronathia, mental retardation, 
and hypoplasia of the maxilla and mandible. These are caused by malformations in structures derived from the first and second branchial arches. Treatment of Mobius syndrome is a free muscle transfer and strabismus surgery. Perry-Romberg hemifacial atrophy often will present between two to 10 years of age and is progressive unilateral loss of facial soft tissue. It can also affect the underlying skeleton. The age of onset correlates with the degree of bony hypoplasia. You'll want to delay surgery in these patients until the condition stabilizes. So you want to have a cessation of atrophy for around two years or more. In mild to moderate peri-Romberg, you may just need multiple sessions of fat grafting. For severe peri-Romberg, treatment is often microvascular, periscapular, free flap, or you can use a buried ALT depending on what you need to replace. They may have associated neurologic symptoms, including hemiatrophy of the arm, seizures, migraines, corner syndrome, or hemiplegia. This generally follows a trigeminal pattern, but it does not affect the sensation. Morphia and coup is a variant with a vertical furrow, atrophy of the tongue and upper lip, an absent or flattened zygoma, orbital rim. All right, Albright syndrome affects calcium and phosphite metabolism. It is an autosomal dominant disease and a deficiency in adenylate cyclase. They will have a low nasal bridge and short neck. Stickler syndrome is caused by a disruption in the formation of collagen. They will have arthroophthalmopathy, flat facies, like a flat nasal bridge, myopia, micronathia, spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia, cleft palate, hearing loss, and it is often associated with PRO-BAN and may include skeletal abnormalities. This accounts for 25% of syndromic cleft palate, stickler syndrome. PRO-BAN syndrome is micronathia, glossoptosis, and respiratory stress. And these kids will often be asked how to handle the respiratory distress. So you'll want to try prone positioning first. If prone positioning does not work, you want to intubate. Methods of addressing respiratory distress in these patients may include tongue lip adhesion if they only have glossoptosis. And if they have mandibular hypoplasia, they may need mandibular distraction. Ectodermal dysplasia is an X-linked recessive disease, and it is characterized by hypoplastic skin and sparse dermal appendages. Orbitofacial dermoid cysts are often found in the brow region or in the orbital region or the nasoglobellar regions. Uh, very commonly we're tested in the lateral brow. The brow and orbit usually do not have an intracranial extension. Nasoglobellar may need further studies to rule out intracranial extension. And typically if you are worried about intracranial extension, you will see a broad nasal root and increased intracranial distance. Treatment is transcranial and local excision. Encephaloceles are neural tube defects that result in sac-like protrusions of the meninges, so a meningocele or a meningoencephaloceal. These can be seen at various parts of the cranium, including the nasal orbital, frontal nasal, and nasal ethmoidal locations. They are soft, compressible masses that transluminate and can enlarge when intracranial pressure increases, like if a baby is crying. The most common place for these in the U.S. is in the occipital region. In Asia, the most common is in the frontal ethmoidal region. The next thing we'll talk about is juvenile nasopharyngeal angiofibromas. This presents in adolescent males and they'll typically have unilateral or bilateral nasal obstruction, frequent epistaxis, or blood, blood tinge nasal discharge. The next syndrome is clipal trenine, or, and this includes a port wine stain, varicose veins, bony and soft tissue hypertrophy of an extremity. McCune Albright is otherwise known as polyostotic fibrous dysplasia. This involves precocious puberty, cafe au lait spots, and dysplasia of the skull, long bones, and ribs. It can have a growth hormone excess and malignant degeneration can be common. And the treatment of surgical function is limited, limited 
you can use pimidronate to decrease pain or NSAIDs. Vanderwood, which we already talked about in our cleft lip and palate, is a genetic mutation of IRF6. It is autosomal dominant and it is associated with cleft lip and palate. It has lip pits, hypodontia, synapia. IRF6 can be associated with non-syndromic orofacial clefting, which can include popliteal pterygium, which we were tested on last year. Okay. The next syndrome is face, P-H-A-C-E. <laughs> this is posterior fossa, hemangioma, arterial defects, cardiac defects, and eye anomalies, and you'll want to get an MRI of the brain. There's also CHARGE, which stands for colobomas of the eye, heart defects, detresia of the nasal cholinae, retardation and growth development, GI, ear, and deafness. This can, is an orofacial cleft and is a gene deletion of CHD7. Remember, it's all commonly associated with facial clefts, cleft lip, and palate. The next is Vactoril, V-A-C-T-E-R-L. This is vertebral, anal, cardiac, trichus, esophageal malformations, renal, and limb malformations. Neurofibromatosis is the next thing we'll go over. This is uh, can present with greater sphenoid wing aplasia, macrocephaly, scoliosis, tibial bowing, and this can have also a brain herniation with pulsatile exophthalmos, vertical dystopia, and large orbital volume. And treatment of this involves bone grafts or titanium mesh to reconstruct the sphenoid wing. The gene mutation is NF1. It is autosomal dominant. And the most common tumors are neurofibromas and optic gliomas. You'll have plexiform neurofibromas in less than 25% of patients and less than 15% chance of these patients in developing a malignant peripheral, peripheral sheath tumor. Diagnostic criteria includes a family history, uh, two or more neurofibromas, freckling in the armpits or groin, leash nodules, and bony dysplasia, like we talked about in the sphenoid wing, or a tumor in the optic nerve and optic glioma. Beckwith-Weedman syndrome is a genetic mutation of 11P15. It presents as macrosomia, Omphaliceals, macroglossia is the keyword here in auricular abnormalities. Diabetic fetopathy is something that you need to know to differentiate from other syndromes, and this will present as macrosomia, nephromegaly, hepatomegaly, so just big. So next we'll talk about orthognathic surgery. So first we'll define the um, classes of occlusion. So normal occlusion is when the mesiobuccal cusp of the upper first molar occludes with the bu buccal groove of the lower first molar. Class one malocclusion is the same as normal occlusion, but it has crowding rotations and other positional irregularities. Class two malocclusion is when the mesiobuccal cusp of the upper first molar occludes anterior to the buccal groove of the lower first molar. So this is also defined as an overbite. Class three malocclusion is when the mesial buccal cusp of the upper first molar occludes posterior to the buccal groove of the lower first molar. So that's an underbite. And then overjet is defined as the horizontal overlap of the maxillary central incisors over the mandibular central incisors. So basically it's how much the upper, upper front teeth protrude forward in relation to the lower teeth. Um, and it's measured horizontally. Overbite is the vertical overlap of the maxillary central incisors over the mandibular central incisors. So it's how much the upper teeth cover the lower teeth in the vertical dimension. Normal overbite is two to three millimeters or approximately 20 to 30% of the height of the mandibular incisors. Long face syndrome is a vertical maxillary hyperplasia with class one malocclusion and it'll present with a decreased SNA and SNB. Treatment is a Lefort one osteotomy with superior repositioning of the maxilla combined with genioplasty. So basically you'll see an excessive length of the lower third of the face. 
They may have lip incompetence, an interlabial gap, and excessive maxillary incisor show. Normal maxillary incisor show is two to three millimeters. And when you are doing a Lafort osteotomy, the descending palatine artery is the most likely place of injury. Maxillary retrusion is maxillary hypoplasia with shortening and a lower vertical height, as well as class three malocclusion. They will have a decreased SNA. Vertical maxillary deficiency is vertical maxillary deficiency presents with angled two malocclusion, shortening of the lower third of the face, SNA and SNB are decreased. And you treat this with a Lafort one. Distraction osteogenesis. So to perform this, you will have to do an osteotomy and then apply the distractors. And then with some latency, typically five to seven days, this will allow osteocyte precursor cell migration and proliferation or initiation of angiogenesis in the maturing clot that came from the osteotomy. The activation, activation phase, um, when you're distracting these people, they can get one millimeter a day and they can get two to four millimeters for neonates. Then there's a consolidation phase, which typically happens throughout six to eight weeks after distraction is finished. Patients will require rigid fixation to achieve union. Typically, though, there is no evidence of bone between the device at the time of removal. So distraction osteogenesis is preferred over bone grafting for advancement over 10 millimeters. Mid-phase distraction osteogenesis decreases exorbitism in syndromic patients. It'll generate a callus and, and collagen fibers will organize in parallel to the vector of distraction. So the zones of the bone activity and distraction osteogenesis include the central zone, which is the cellular proliferation of mesenchymal cells. You have the transitional zone, which involves vasculogenesis, the paracentral zone, which is where the collagen fibers will orient themselves in parallel with the osteoid production, and then a transitional mineralization front, which is a primary mineralization with bone spicule formation, and it'll then progress to mature bone, which is progressive calcification of cortical and cancellous elements. In order to do mandibular retraction or a BSSO, bilateral split sagittal osteotomy, you need to have the condyles. Without the condyles, you may use costrocondyl grafts um, to avoid respiratory compromise, like in Treacher Collins. A few miscellaneous facts for you. Um, Sensen's duct empties into the papilla, most likely adjacent to the second molar. TMJ can be evaluated by placing either finger inside the EAC um, and you'll feel clicking when it's open and closed. This is caused by subluxation of the articular disc. For TMJ syndrome, often people will try conservative management first. So adjustment of the bite with a splint, NSAIDs or PT, and then surgical treatment can be pursued if this fails. And then masseter hypertrophy, if it is idiopathic, you can treat it with Botox. That's all we have, that's it. Can you believe it? For craniofacial syndromes and treatments. Thanks so much for listening to our hopefully quick hits. And we'll see you for the next one. Thank you. We would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. Allergan Aesthetics is now part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of our topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they are dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.